Hello everyone, welcome back to It's a Wonderful Podcast. We firstly apologise for not having a show out last week. Uh, my family's going through a little bit of a, a tough time at the moment, uh, particularly last week, which is uh, we just couldn't, there was no possibility yeah. of getting a show out last week, uh, unfortunately. Um, we don't like to miss weeks of shows, especially on this, the main show. Um, we kind of pride ourselves in a really consistent yes. show every single Friday. Um, but last week was a fairly different circumstance in uh, in my life in particular. So that is, uh, well, that that's that really. We're back now. And we are always back now. Um, And I'm very excited about that. Not least because I'm quite excited to talk about the movie that we'll be talking about today. But just because it feels nice to be back recording an episode of It's a Wonderful Podcast, the main show. Anyway, because, of course, before last week, I'd been on my trip uh, from, from those who saw on on social media and things like that i'd been over in la janine and i were actually in the same location it was quite exciting it was very fun um so it does feel like it's been an awfully long time since we've actually recorded an episode of the main show and that's because it has been we're not used to that length of time yeah between um between speaking about old movies but we are back and we're excited to be back because this is a weird nasty little movie Janine that I think I brought to your attention some months ago but her but while I was um in LA kind of and while we were together there I kind of, uh, or it was reiterated. Uh, just yes, how we good actually this found strange yes. little movie is. We actually found somebody who was just as into classic films as we were, and struck up a really interesting conversation about some movies. And this one definitely came up, so figured it was the yeah. time to do it. I often, I, I always do like to bring up this movie, really, because it's it's a movie that I was introduced to from a YouTube channel that does, you know, that kind of collects the sort of Blu-rays that I collect. Wow. And they had um, gotten the Criterion version of this particular movie that I subsequently bought myself. And this is Detour from 1945, which is about as far away from an... A-list, pretty glossy picture that you could possibly wish for. It is a stunningly cheaply made movie. You yes. can tell it's a stunningly cheaply made movie. Yet, I think it is one of the purest and most effectively kind of nihilistic and just miserable noirs you could possibly wish to see. And I think that's doubly interesting, given the fact that it's reasonably early in the noir cycle, it being 1945. 
Um, you think about other things that perhaps came out around 1945 within the same realm of its, say, budget, and they would usually be more spy-related things or a, a little bit of maybe wartime espionage or something like that. Yeah. Um, your A-list noirs were, were, were left to be singular and kind of themselves and, you know, they could tell their own nasty story, but there was usually a kind of procedural element to a smaller one, um, a cheaper one, because they were kind of easier to produce. Yeah. I suppose they didn't take quite as much effort, but this detour is adapted from a, a story. It's, I think, written for the screen by the same guy who wrote the book, um, I believe so anyway. But it is, to me, just, I think it's a movie that I can watch a lot. I think I've already watched it twice this year. Oh, dang, um, okay. <laughs> which, I know it's August, and that might not be, like, too bad, but when you watch the variety of movies that I think we watch, I think to watch any movie twice in the same year. Yeah, I mean, no it's a very problem. it's a very quick watch. Um, I wouldn't say easy watch, just because of the subject matter. But yeah, it's definitely... A very quick film i think it's only like 70 minutes um so yeah. definitely a breezy watch in terms of time <laughs> yeah not yeah you are right not necessarily in terms of uh, subject matter and do forgive me for already waffling on about uh, <laughs> my various enjoyment factors no i love i love when you get excited about a movie so we do have to do one thing before we get into our main discussion today, Janine. What is that? Uh, we have to say a huge thank you to all our lovely It's a Wonderful Podcast patrons. Yes, and if you would like to join us and support us on Patreon, uh, just go to patreon.com slash it's a wonderful one. Find the tier that is right for you. We would love you forever the least all our patrons deserve is a big thank you every single week on one of the shows so that's why we like to give them that janine would you like to start us off yes a huge thank you to marie zambino and thank you to adam Witt. thank you michael smith thank you maxwell haddad thank you abby friel thank you to faris muthana Thank you, 90s Comics Box, a.k.a. my big brother, Justin. Thank you to Video Drew. Thank you, Tina Farrow. Thank you, Marcus Burton. Thank you to Movie Fenobi Steve. Thank you to Samir Tesfai. Thank you, Patrick Harden. Thank you to Carla Fees. Thank you, Delisha Butler. Thank you to the great Ken Knapsack. Thank you to our good friends Tom and Kimber of Odd Shape Channel. Thank you to Eric Garcia. And thank you, Billy Pollahan. Okay, yes. Applause for the patrons. Applause Yay. for the movie. Detour, Janine. I'm happy you've watched it. And 
you say it's a tough subject matter, but why is it a tough subject matter? Because I really, mean, it's, it's just 68 minutes of victim of circumstance. Yes, it is just frustrating in that aspect of the fact that, you know, this character has very simple wants and motivations, and at every turn, something out of his control goes wrong. Um, so it's very frustrating for him. And, you know, even through his narration, he's trying to, he, he knows how we could view what he's doing, or he could view how things look, um, and really kind of has this concern that us as viewers aren't going to believe that this is what really happened. <laughs> so I yeah. love that interaction that he has with us watching, um, as he's going through all these really ridiculous and kind of difficult things. So our lead character, um, Al, as his name in, um, in detour, you could be forgiven for not remembering his name is Al because I don't, you know, his name is hardly ever said, I think. And he is absolutely our lead character. We are with him for, every single scene in this movie oh, yes um he is an anxiety ridden overthinker and a, a a kind of musical dreamer because he's a he's a piano player in new york he has his little kind of romance going on um his girlfriend goes off to Hollywood to try and uh, make it big and he doesn't go with her at this particular time um, he kind of stays for a bit and, and plans to get some money together to come over slightly later because they are dirt poor basically yeah. they, they have absolutely nothing I the movie itself is is structured as entirely a flashback because it opens with what is chronologically the final scene of the movie and i really love that it does that because yeah. you, you you see him right from the first scene of the movie as just this kind of dirty disheveled kind of miserable wreck. doesn't want to talk to anybody no very much wants to be left alone very kind very of highly rude. strong yeah very standoffish yeah yeah um and he's in this diner in the middle of the road uh, not in the middle of the road obviously on the side of the road in the middle of nowhere yeah. um and one of the other patrons of the diner puts this song on and this is a song that is just constantly throughout this movie. I love it when any noir movie has a musical motif. And this movie this movie has that in this this I can't believe that you're in love with me song which is constantly just played in the background. Yeah. Um it opens the movie and he gets really kind of angry. He's, Why is it always that song? I don't like that song. And you hear the narration saying it's always that song. And he's kind of 
metaphorically shaking his fist at this song. Yes, and then our flashback kind of begins and goes back to why this song has this meaning for him. Um, But I also like, okay, we introduce him as this very standoffish, disheveled mess of a person who's just treating everybody terribly. Um, But they give us a glimmer of who he used to be right at the start when he does snap at the people at the diner for playing that song and then immediately kind of snaps out of it and apologizes for his behavior. So you get this sense of this is not really him something must have happened to this man to get him to this point and right when they kind of give us that cue we get to go back and see just who he was before this mess of a person so i like that you know we're not just seeing him completely miserable without the context before going into the flashback you know we get him trying being apologetic and feeling bad and really just going through something before they take us into the flashback so i liked just that little moment of seeing some humanity from him some remorse from him for you know the way he's he's behaving yeah and then the the you know the rest of the movie is is that flashback leading us up to why he was you know in such a a bad way in this diner in the very first scene of the movie, which is the last scene chronologically. Um, We see him and his girlfriend back in New York playing the piano and singing this same song, this I can't believe that you're in love with me. It's (laughs) such a catchy little melody. It's, 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 personifies the movie itself i think it's a it's a tiny little thing that sticks in your head and i think this movie is just a tiny little thing that sticks in your head and i think i love it even more so um what you've just said about him immediately for example being apologetic yeah in that first scene right after he snaps at people there's just such a a realism to him I think as a person, there's no gloss to him whatsoever. There's no, with the kind of movies that we're dealing with here, with this era, this genre, this time in movies, you're dealing with often a lot of gloss, a lot of heightened kind of um, drama or, or heightened performance or anything like that. And we love that. We yeah. love that about a lot of a lot of noir movies, a lot of melodrama, um, a lot of these kind of forties things. But there is a real just humanity to him that I find so not endearing, but I guess identifiable. Yes. Because he is just He's in his own head so much that he is constantly overthinking kind of every situation. Yes. And like how I mentioned with his narration, he is questioning us as viewers if we are believing, you know, what has happened to lead him to this point. But we're seeing it. So we do believe him. We do believe that he is this victim of circumstance. But yet he's still questioning why we would believe him you know because he's so in his head like you said he's like you know 
you probably don't believe me. No one would believe this is what really happened. Like, you know, because Even he's just we're watching it happen. Yes, we're watching it and seeing it, but he's still questioning what other people would think of, of, you know, what other people would believe of this situation and what us as viewers believe, even though we are actually seeing what really happened. So we yeah. are fully on his side, but he, he is just so in his head that he can't believe that anybody would, would take his word for these just incredibly unfortunate circumstances. Yeah. So the, the vast majority of the movie is a hitchhiking journey, really. That uh, Al takes from New York all the way to LA um, in order to obviously go and and see his his girlfriend who went out there to seek her fame and fortune. Um, whether she has done that entirely or not is uh, well, it is clear, I suppose, because the the or she does phone him at yes. one point and she's not necessarily doing anything great but the, the hope is still there the dream is still there and i think that is always in the background of of her mind definitely but of his mind as well that the potential for good is actually still there it just keeps the world almost just keeps kicking him down at every given opportunity and you might be thinking now why would you want to watch a movie that is just 70 minutes of some of, of, <laughs> of a fairly miserable person anyway being continually kicked down and i don't know maybe there's something cathartic about it it's there also kind of a really cathartic yes there's also kind of a, an interesting you know something that my mind kind of does subconsciously is um you know these really interesting scenarios like how would i handle that situation how would i have played this situation differently you know how would i have gotten out of this if it were me so there's definitely a lot of these kind of choose your own adventure in your mind situations where you as a viewer are thinking about should he have handled it this way would it have been different if he had done something different kind of thought which is always yeah. fun and interesting so yeah there is really and really the the kind of bad things start to happen when he he hitches a lift with um a particular gentleman by the name of charles haskell yeah who seems like a, a just a regular, reasonable guy, nothing wrong with him. You know, Al's a little bit tentative of getting in the car with anybody. He never he says he never likes to speak to anybody. Really, he, he always feels a little bit uncomfortable. You're never quite sure who you're getting in the car with. You don't want to say anything that's going to cause any sort of issue. Hitchhiking's very dangerous. I think yes. that's made pretty clear in this movie as well you know it, it, not necessarily a precursor to a movie like the hitcher but you know with <laughs> rutger hauer <laughs> but yeah. um hitchhiking doesn't always lead to the best uh of circumstances best circumstances yeah. does it i will say as well and i will give credit to tom neal who is the actor who plays al 
I just think he is he he quite possibly has the most pained expression I've ever seen in any actor, and I do mean yeah. in any actor. And I just think this is his natural face. Yeah. That he just looks so in internal pain yeah. all the time. It works so well for this movie. You feel like this movie had been kind of precisely planned before, but it can't have been because, for one, it's a poverty role movie, and I mean that by you know it's a cheap little studio that made that makes cheap little movies um, with anybody they can find. Yeah, really, which is a particular story. A, particularly strange story really when you consider who the director of this movie is um but it just seems like everything fits together so well and maybe that is because it's directed by an actual or a former pretty respected studio player in edgar Gilmer who was at universal for quite a while in the early 30s he was I think he he is in the same almost generation that because he's he's a European who fled mm. the continent um, to America, so he's in that kind of Billy Wilder, William Wyler. I think he worked with William Wyler quite a bit. Um, he's in that sort of realm. He went to Universal. He was quite liked at the beginning by you know the the higher ups at universal by carl lemley and people like that in the 30s he makes you know he's given the opportunity to to work his way up assistant director to people like william wyler he's given the black cat to direct with carl off and lugosi in 1935 he directs that movie yeah and it uh, he he puts that much of a a personal flair on the movie, and he was he's allowed to do this. He's not necessarily allowed to do this, but he does this because Carl Lemley, I believe, is on holiday or vacation at this particular time. He he, so he just takes that kind of few weeks to just make this movie yeah. however he wants to and it comes back that's like what on earth have you done here <laughs> Edgar yeah the movie gets put out I don't necessarily think it's massively successful he then is basically shunned from the major studios he also oh, wow. rather unfortunately um, begins I think I, th I want to say it it's a relative of Carl Lemley that he begins a relationship with, and I believe it's a married relative of Carl Lemley. Um, so he's basically there's there's an element of kind of uh, personal politics as to why Edgar Ulmer is shunned from the major studios. Yeah, because it's something like the niece of Carl Lemley. Who was who was married? Edgar Ulmer falls in love with 
and they start something and Carl Lemley being as powerful as he is really doesn't like this and goes, okay, you're finished with and nobody will work with you now. So he has to go to these tiny little other studios like um, who who makes Detour? I forget. I forgot the studio who makes Detour now. But he goes to these tiny little nothing poverty row studios. Yeah, being more than a poverty row director, he's got uh, more okay. yeah. talent. He's got more credit. You know, he he's credibility. Not to say no, credibility. Not to say there's a better and better than or worse than. But, you know, you, you could quite easily consider that Edgar Ulmer is a better director than this movie. Not than this movie, sorry, than, than this world of movies. Yeah. Which is why I think this movie is actually so really well done. Um, and there's there's certain sequences, there's certain scenes in this movie that I think are really, really cleverly put together. And it's obviously a very cheap movie, and you can't get away from the fact it's a very cheap movie. They couldn't make a movie that was more expensive than something like this. Yeah. It just wasn't in the world of, of these studios to be doing that. Um, but it's dealt with so well. And Edgar Ulmer's a little bit of a of an interesting guy because of his, his little story, his fitting in with that world of... Europeans who, you know, Central Europeans who kind of came over, Austrians, you know, all these people who went to Hollywood, worked their way up, but personal circumstances mean they, uh, for some reason, fall out of favour. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting and it's unfortunate, really. I mean, where would we have been had he made you know, a good career for himself in the major studios. Um, had he have had he have done that, had he have not had love not gotten in the way for <laughs> You don't know. Yeah. Um it's interesting to think about. And uh, I apologize for waffling oh, no, on about his particular no. story for a while. I enjoyed I just... the 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 context and the story time. Uh, um, of kind of how this movie ended up getting made. I mean, I think that's well, it's always what about. I find. It's <laughs> always what I find almost the most interesting. Yeah. About you know these kind of movies, how they are made in context of each other. Um, but I really do. I think Detour's such a an efficiently made movie, and such a cleverly made movie. Um, but getting back to the actual story of the movie is he obviously hitches a lift with this uh, Charles Haskell gentleman who well should we say promptly ends up dying yes no seemingly reasonable reason at all yes and I think our our lead character has found like okay he hit a stroke of luck this man who's willing to drive him all the way where he needs to go he's bought him a meal they're having decent yeah. conversation so he thinks he's hit finally hitting hit some luck he's gonna get where he needs to go and it's all gonna work out fine so he ends up driving um while the 
man he meets is sleeping. And then it starts to rain. He's trying to figure out how to put the top up. He pulls over to the side. He tries to wake him up as he opens the door because he's not waking up. He falls out of the car, hitting his head on a rock. And that's when he realizes he is dead. Um, If he wasn't completely dead, (laughs) the hitting his head on the the rock did it. And so now he's in the situation. No one would believe that I didn't bash this man over the head to steal his car. What am I going to do? I can't just leave him here. And And you get this constant narration in the background. Yes, of how he's going to figure this out. Um, So ultimately, he ends up deciding to hide the body, take this man's wallet and money, and taking the car. Um, and, and kind of just taking on this man's identity, which ultimately is what, what his decision leads to. Yeah. Um, the man also had mentioned, like, he noticed some scratches on his hand and he kind of asked him, like, how did that happen? He kind of tells some phony story about how he got scratched up by some type of animal. Um, so, and he does mention a woman that he had met and, was giving a ride to but ultimately kind of threw out of his car because she was just being she wasn't you know giving him what he wanted essentially so he does mention a few things that ultimately play into the story later so now he's he's taken over this man's identity he's on his way to la he has a few run-ins with police but is able to slide under their radar and assume the 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 life for the moment of this man who gave him a ride yeah and there's there is that sense of of paranoia yeah kind of seeps from within him and and then and and is present in the movie from that point um like you say run-ins with police run-ins with not run-ins to speak but But they pull him over they check his id but he has a similar look to the man so no one's really questioning it too much and long gone are the days where basic identifying markers are good enough for you know legally yeah there's no computer there's no database there's no several pictures of somebody to reference basically identity theft is very easy in the mid 40s and it's not now um are we thankful for that yes i think we are yeah Uh, i wouldn't like to have my identity stolen i don't think um But it just seems very convenient and very easy of a thing to do. You wonder how many, you know, horrible crimes were actually gotten away with. Not yeah, that there's actually, not that this is, not that this has even been a horrible crime because the guy, yes, he didn't really a, do anything. Al didn't do, he anything. didn't do anything. It just he was just driving. This man seemingly had some kind of silent attack and yeah. fell out of the car, hitting his head. But because of his overthinking and paranoia, he just jumped to the excuse that, oh, you know, well, he his first instinct was to do the right thing, to call police, to call for help. But right off the bat, he just kind of assumes, you know, after giving it a beat to think about, he just assumes that, oh, no, no one would ever believe that. So, but yeah, they're going to believe I was a hitchhiker who just happened to get in this car. 
and then he just happened to die and yeah oh yeah sure and hit his head on this rock no there's there are people that saw us at this diner that we stopped to eat at that they, they could yeah. identify me and all there's of only things. one thing happening to to al at this point and he would be promptly arrested yeah um or at least this is this is what he thinks and we are led to believe that yep yeah, that sounds reasonable that is absolutely i think what would happen um what are you gonna do now al you're going to keep going. You're yes. going to get into California. Now we're on the last leg. And we must remember as well, Janine, that it's California Noir. Yes. Yay! California <laughs> Noir. The best type of noir yeah. because it's all about facades. Yes. And it's all about an image that isn't necessarily what's real because this is just. LA. Yeah. As we know that it's all on the surface and yes. it's all a bit pretend. And then under underneath is actually the nastiness that's going on. Yes. Um, and that is this movie. It it's the pretending to be one thing, but actually being something else underneath. Something darker, yeah. Um, not even that that's necessarily dark or, or or something like that not in the case of al at least because yeah. al's almost pretending to be al's pretending to now be charles haskell yeah while being something else so there's there's that facade element that's obviously mirrored with the fact we we're, we're in we, we have a california noir on our hands and, and california noir tends to be all about um this kind of idea or these kind of themes, things like that. Yeah. Which is, again, why I think it's a wonderful example of the genre. But um, I think it all... The movie really comes to a head when um, he stops off at a gas station just in California. I imagine relatively close to, say, Bakersfield or something like that. Yeah. That, that seems to be where he would be. And uh, there is a woman trying to hitch a lift on the on the side of the road. She looks a little bit dishevelled herself. Yes. And um, for some reason, I mean, would you do this if you were in his particular position or would you just kind of realise that you're already towing a little bit of a fine line in, in terms of not, you know, the law. Of trying to not keep your, yeah, doing anything and just, wrong. No. And trying to keep yourself under the radar. So yes. another one of those choose your adventure type situations where what would you do in the situation? Would you pick up this woman or would you leave her and just keep things kind of low key for yourself? Now, the narration, I think, constantly tells us, or he constantly tells us in the narration, that the worst thing I ever did, imagine what I would have done had I never got into the car with Charles Haskell. Ultimately, I think you'd have probably still been okay had you have not picked up Vera. Yeah. Because Vera, um, played by Anne Savage, um... Well, Anne Savage, let's say, just lives up to her name as being incredibly savage. 
and yes. vicious and just the most spit in your face horrible fatal character you could ever wish to meet there are femme fatales throughout film noir of course there is that are deeply manipulative deeply evil um really interesting characters but also with... using using some type of charm and seduction to hide kind of how sinister they are but this of woman course. she is not hiding anything she's basically spitting every word at you in a very yeah. violent way there is just there's something so distinctly different about vera about what Anne savage is doing in this movie as a fatal character she fits into the mold of a fatal character because she is ultimately uh, um ultimately a woman that causes the weak-willed leading man to lose himself basically yes and feel like he has so to depend on her and she is definitely taking control of the situation yes and manipulating him in a lot of ways because he's very much lost and it doesn't really know how to get out of this and she's yeah. seemingly showing him a way out of it she 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 absolutely fits into that mold yet any other major fatal character you can think of always comes to my mind with an element of I actually quite like you, or I actually quite respect you, because you are, uh, you're powerful, and you know you're powerful, and you kind of have this regality about you, even, even, you know, not when they're necessarily fancy people, not when they're necessarily kind of high-class people, yeah. but they have a certain poise that they're just able to you know you can look at them i think that's why so many people love you know the 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 ladies of film noir because they they have a certain mythical quality to them that despite the fact that you know they may play characters that ultimately are manipulative ultimately are you know not necessarily pure evil or anything yeah. like that but certainly self-focused there's still that element of respecting kind of what they're doing as characters and you you i always think you can also always read fatale characters as well really it's not their fault they're doing that the you know the leading man that they are manipulating shouldn't be as weak as he is. Yes, you know, for if, falling if for as... all her nonsense and, you know, falling for it time and time again. Uh, it's a, his own fault. But this guy has gotten himself in such a crazy situation and she seemingly, you know, is not only kind of simultaneously blackmailing him, but also giving him a way out. So he's very much wanting to rush through whatever plan she has so he can just get on with his life. Yeah. With you know his girlfriend the difference with her though is that i don't think there's any there's nothing within her 
that isn't just kind of pure nastiness. Yeah, she's not and really putting on any kind of facade. She's fully, wholly being her cruel, you know, manipulative self. She's not hiding behind a guise of charm or, no. um, you know, false romance or anything like that. And I think it's what makes her so memorable in this particular movie because you you you, you very rarely come across yes such purely horrible people yeah and so you know how we end up finding out you know her place in all of this is the fact that as soon as he picks her up and gives her a ride she recognizes the car she doesn't recognize him as the man who yeah own the car because we go back to the conversation he had and um mr haskell tells had told him the story about you know a woman he picked up that he just kind of had to throw out and also some type of animal scratching him so once she reveals she very much angrily is already coming for him like who are you? I know you're not the owner of this car. Where is he? What'd you do to him? And she immediately already kind of jumps to, did you kill him? What'd you do to him? Um, and so he's very confused at how she would know that he doesn't own the car, that he's not the man who owns it, all of these things. And then he starts to replay that conversation with Charles Haskell about the woman he picked up. And we're hearing the narration in his head, this must be the woman he picked up. Um, and then he can kind of put the pieces together that potentially he tried to come on to this woman Charles Haskell did and she rejected yeah. him and hence scratched him. Um, and so now that she knows he is posing as this man because he pretends, you know, he doesn't know any better. So he just pretends like, oh, no, I'm I am Charles Haskell. So now she has all of this over him that she knows he doesn't own this car. that She can get him in trouble. And immediately just put just sinks his situation even lower than where he thought it could be um and again just another element of this victim of circumstance situation of all the people he picks up he picks up this woman who knows the truth of who owns this car yeah. and that he's not this person of all of the people so just it's this descent of just another thing adding on to him not getting out of this as easily as he had hoped and for as as short a movie as this is i think when you know he and vera actually reach or get to la and kind of check into this boarding house or hotel as as a couple um i, I don't really know why they do that i suppose they have to do that to keep up appearances don't they but it's just you you almost forget why the movie began in the first place yeah or why the story began in the first place and the story began in the first place because he's just going visiting his girlfriend yeah he's just going out there to go and meet up with his girlfriend so they can have a they can kind of start their of life a, together get married they start their life together they, they they can have a musical career together yeah they can do all this there's there's that dream that you forget exists because you're so focused, the narration's so focused on and the the descent the, into these terrible events the, just keep going down lower and lower. Yeah, on the descent of it and on the anxiety of the situation, and that's all that's in your mind at this point. It's good of the movie to actually remind you that I just want to be rid of you now. 
because I, I have things to do now I'm here, uh, and Savage. So, and she doesn't, she basically doesn't let him Yeah, she's leave. like, I'm not letting you leave until we sell this car and get the money and, and you know, if you leave me or try to sneak out of this agreement that we have, this arrangement that we have, I will snitch on you and tell all the truth of what you've done. So now he's yeah. just trapped. And we thought that he's like done he anything said, because he didn't yes. do anything to Charles. No, he didn't. He just left his body there and drove off. Um, the worst thing but, he did was steal the man's car. Okay, he, fair enough. He's stolen his car. Yes. He's not actually killed. But he didn't him. kill anybody. Nothing like that. So um, he he's ultimately kind of trapped there. And like you said, we completely forget about this dream he had and and the potential he had. Because like I think we see him a few weeks after his girlfriend has gone to L.A. and has left him alone in New York. And we see him kind of playing at the bar. He's very down, but he's playing yeah. this just kind of random, beautiful melody. And we get to see how talented he is to where, you know, he's getting all these extra tips because he's just playing these beautiful melodies. And so we see that the talent is there and, and, you know, that almost kind of kickstarts him to want to join his girlfriend after, you know, he gets those accolades from the customers at the bar who are listening to him play. So, you know, we see this talent that he had and the potential that he had, and we almost forget all of that when, you know, every step of the way, some ridiculous thing happens to sink him even deeper into this situation that he's in. Yeah. Um, I mean, the scenes between he, him and an Anne Savage in this little apartment in LA are, I don't want to say argument after argument after argument, but it might as well be that. It's kind of just, it's almost the, imagine two snakes or two cats, let's say two cats circling each other on the street just going <laughs> and kind yeah. of hissing at each other. Yeah. And this is what's going on here. Yes. They're, they're just hissing at each other. And he gets more and more annoyed about the situation because he just wants to leave and be done with her. But he can't because she's lording all this over him. And she's really enjoying this. I think Vera would happily stay there for ages because she likes having this power. She likes having this control, and she yeah. just wants the money. Yes, okay, she wants the money from selling the car and all this kind of stuff. Of course she does. But there's arguments over who gets that. There's arguments over what goes there. They actually do go and sell the car, yet she pulls him out of when he's about to sign over to sell the car because she finds something else that she can have more money from something else. Yes. Exactly I what that is now. Um... Yes, just a, another step deeper into this, to the tragedy of this situation and the circumstances for this man is the fact that now it's in the paper that Charles Haskell is missing, that people, he has family that's looking for yes. him. There's, um, oh, it's um, his dad, it's Charles Haskell's yes, father, isn't is it? He's looking for him. Money. Yes, and he he's like very old, he's probably about to die. And he wants to find his son. 
So her whole kind of scheme that she now is instead of selling the car, will go to him and you pretend to be Charles. He'll never know the difference. He's going to be dead anyway. And we'll just get that inheritance money and split it. But he's like, no, like this is his family. They're going to know I'm not him. That is very risky. What if I go, I don't know anything about this man to even pretend to be him. What if they ask me questions about things and I'm not going to have those answers. It's too unpredictable. I'm not putting myself in that situation, but she's just like, they're old, you know, they're going to die anyway. They don't know any better. It's fine. It'll do it, do it. So as he's about to sign the papers for the car to sell the car, she sees this newspaper article and pulls him out of that situation to go with this plan, but he refuses. And so that's kind of the last straw for him almost. Like he's like, I can't do this. This is too unpredictable. We're not doing this. You know, it's where his despair kind of reaches its peak. And he, he really does. I mean, like I said before, I think he's got just the most wonderfully pained face I've ever seen. It's just constant, just misery after misery. Yes, because selling this car was going to be the step to being out of this situation. He's rid of the car. He doesn't have to pretend to be this man anymore. He's rid of this woman who's blackmailing him. He can now find his girl and start his life with her in LA but no now now she's hatching this other scheme that is just way too risky trying to force him into it again holding it over his head if he doesn't do it she'll say this and that and the other and it becomes this bigger fight between the two of them to where now she's throwing threats out there he's kind of trying to call her bluff because you know she was seen at the car dealership too she was seen posing as his wife so she's just as much implicated now as him so he kind of you know pushes her well fine you know you're implicated as well so call the cops call the cops go ahead call the cops and so she actually does start to call the cops and he then he realizes oh my gosh she's going for what i'm saying like my plan isn't working so then he tells her not to call them and now she's like back on top with the power she loves that so she grabs the phone runs into the room locks the door and he's panicking that she's going to call the police and expose him and what's going to happen and so he's trying to pull the phone cord through underneath the door to get it from her to get the phone to get her to stop calling and he's pulling and pulling and pulling it and things go silent he busts in the door and sees and the the deepest now we've gone into to the descent of these circumstances is he ultimately without knowing it strangled her with the phone cord yes <laughs> and now she's and it dead. seems it might seem just saying that and thinking about it now that it's one step too far on the ridiculous level but it work it doesn't feel like that when you're watching the movie it feels totally you know believable it doesn't feel unbelievable that he would have accidentally strangled her with the phone cord through an through a locked door because it, it just seems to tonally work with everything else that's going on in, yeah. this, in this movie it's such a pitch perfect tone really because you know it's the kind of bleak misery that is really really watchable yeah you know it's not 
these kind of bleak movies that you that you watch once you never want to watch again because it's just it just upsets you too much i don't this movie's not upsetting to me yeah in any way perhaps because you can distance yourself from it perhaps because it's obviously an older movie we don't quite you know we recognize the humanity involved but we don't recognize the world it's in yeah. almost perhaps there's that um which helps but it's so it's so effective in its own bleakness i can't help but find it really cathartically watchable to to just watch i don't know if it's kind of this sort of morbid thing going on but watching somebody else's descent into pure misery kind of makes you feel better about yourself yeah <laughs> because it, i mean for god's sake at least you haven't got al's life you know yeah. mm -hmm. this is this is sometimes what you can think and maybe there's an element of that and maybe there's not an element of that i'm kind of just speculating at this point but i i strangely just find it while being such a bleak miserable movie so so watchable i find it so watchable yeah um and this final straw of the accidental killing of vera um is is what really tips him over the edge into this kind of out of body experience and this is i think the best sequence in the whole movie the simplest way of conveying something like this again we're dealing with a cheap movie here yeah but what an effective way of showing just this out of body i've just killed someone experience than just having the camera go in and out of focus on particular elements of this room that he is you know that he is focusing on the phone itself goes yeah. in and out of focus her own face goes in and out of focus it, and and the camera just kind of slowly just sweeps through this room focus you know and, and stays static on yeah. these particular objects particular yes. mm -hmm. instances goes in and out of focus just while the narration's going on just to show his out of body experience it's a wonderful way of conveying it i love it so much yes it's yeah. so simple and so effective and those are my favorite this is my favorite kind of movies anyway yeah is something that's simple and so so effective there's nothing difficult about this movie there's nothing you know <laughs> layer upon layer upon layer about this movie yeah there's it's nothing complex about it mm -hmm. thing that has a focus it's so focused and it's so effective in conveying what it's supposed to convey i i just i have so much fondness for detour and i mean the very end of the movie is after he's you know accidentally killed vera we kind of go back to the very beginning scene when he's kind of yeah, yeah, escapes found himself almost in this, yes 
he finds yeah. himself in this diner. This is when he's all really at his he looks terrible. He looks tired and sweaty and disheveled. Yes, at his worst, he realizes he's not gonna have the life with his girl, so he doesn't even contact her. He just leaves and is now finds himself here. He talks about, you know, um they found Charles Haskell and they kind of realized like his cause of death was nothing sinister about it. So yeah. he kind of feels like, okay, well maybe he'll get actually get away with this. Maybe he's off the hook with this. Um, but maybe he ultimately with Charles, to, but not with yes, yes. And he really can't go back because the lady at the boarding house knows what he looks like and the car dealership and people around the city could spot him and know him. So that's why he just kind of has to leave that whole idea of him and his girl in LA. And so now yeah. he's just lost at the moment. And, you know, when he says, you know, Charles ultimately saved me because, you know, nobody is, you know, they, they think, I am Charles and they found Charles dead. So essentially I'm dead now and I can just kind of float under the radar. So we yeah. think, okay, maybe he's going to get away with it. And we see him kind of leave the diner walking down the street only for a highway patrol car to approach him and kind of gently take him into the car. So now yeah. we're left to believe, you That's know, just the end. Yes. So are we led? To, so now it is very much a choose your own adventure. What do you think happened? Do you think they are just thinking he's this, you know, do, do you think the diner people called the police on him as just a man causing trouble in the diner? Do we think he, you know, turned himself in because he just couldn't live with the guilt of what he did? Do we think they just see him as some homeless person and are giving him a ride? Like, <laughs> you know. Yeah, there's, there's, there's two. Were there, there was there enough evidence there to lead them to know it's him and find him there? So it's very much all of these things that could be possible, but we will never know. So no, th there's two sides of it for me, and I kind of go between which one I almost want it to be, which is obviously he gets ushered into the the highway patrol car. Does he then break down and confess because he's just at a complete breaking point? Yeah. Or is he just actually, finally, for once in this movie, shown some kindness and some help? Does yes, he actually because... just have a group of people that have just genuinely helped him? Do we have that positive, hopeful ending that goes against the rest of the movie, but at least leaves you with some optimism? Or do we have the ending that fits so tonally well with the rest of the movie where he would just break down, confess, and end up and, and just or, get caught end up and... in either in prison or wherever? Yes. Um and I I believe, you know, it definitely could be either of those options at how just kind of gently they put him into the car had they it maybe could. been called or had evidence against him i think they would have been a lot more rough with him but the fact that they're kind of like show up as a saving grace they open the door to him they look at him like understanding and they gently kind of escort him into the back of the car like it feels very gentle so yeah, i don't think they know who he is it's whether he confesses or yeah. not to absolve that's, himself that's how i think to you know 
ultimately feel like I've gotten this far down this road, I might as well just, you know, at least absolve myself of the guilt of what has happened. Um, or yes, have, have they, you know, is this just a kind gesture from these people giving him a ride somewhere as, you know, as maybe the diner people called the police and said, Hey, there's this man who was kind of wandering around our diner, whatever. So definitely up to you to determine what happens. And I kind of like that. I kind of love yes, that. Yes, all so. the better for, all the better yeah. for, for it ending like that, I think. I'm so happy you've watched this movie. Yes. This horrible, <laughs> yes, a true, a true, pure depiction of victim of circumstance. And you really feel for this man and just how everything just gets worse and worse and worse. Um, and usually movies like that are really difficult for me to watch. Like something like, you know, Meet the Parents is just like so painful just seeing well, this in character. a comedic sense, yes, yes but, quite but, totally but still, but just in the fact that like it's constantly going wrong for this character, like nothing yeah, can go right, true. and the frustration that comes with that. And usually that's how I feel watching the this type of uh, kind of just nothing ever going right for this person and things just getting worse and worse and worse. Um, I usually feel this great sense of frustration, but here it was just very much me sympathizing with this guy and feeling like, you know, really believing in these hopeful glimmers of maybe he can get out of this. Maybe he'll get out of this by the end. And then, you know, wanting and holding on to that hope only at the end for them kind of leaving it up to me to decide what happens to him almost. Yeah. Um, I wasn't frustrated. I was kind of like, Either option, I think, works for where the story took us. So I was kind of at peace with with where we ended up because, you know, it's up to me as the viewer. I could hold on to that hope that I had for this character the whole time and say, you know, either way, he's absolving himself of the guilt of, you know, what he he's done in this situation, which is, I think is good for him, even though it may lead to him going to jail or whatever. Or he's finally found, you know, someone to grant him some grace. And, you know, that's also a good thing. So, And this cheap little movie from the Poverty Row Studios can have this amount of effect on us. Yeah. And if that's not a reason to hold this movie on a little bit of a pedestal and say, you're going to watch this one. Yeah. Don't let this fall under the radar. Thank you to Criterion for introducing <laughs> it to me. Um, but it's it's the exact kind of movie that I love talking about on this show because it is one that could very easily be forgotten would people not speak about it and it just deserves that because yeah. it, it's such a wonderful movie it's, it's it's a great movie and it has that effect on you um and that's all that that's what it's all about yes. that's what that's what watching movies are all about allowing them to have an effect on you yes and it does it so well we love noir here on it's a wonderful podcast obviously and this is honestly one of just the pure bleakest you can possibly wish for yeah i think it, it epitomizes 
the just real dark misery of elements of that genre of you know of, of certain different styles of that genre and does it so well i yes. love detour i think it's a great great movie um yay Yay. Yay. I'm very glad we've spoken about it <laughs> on this week's show, Janine. Yay. I think it's so good. Yes. Of course, this show, the main show, It's a Wonderful Podcast, is not the only thing we have on the It's a Wonderful Podcast feed. Morgan hasn't seen is there. Every Wednesday, we are talking uh, fringe Marvel movies all August long um, with those weird little parts of, of non-MCU Marvel <laughs> movies yeah. that, um, again, could be forgotten about in their own right, I suppose, because they're that little, you know, they're that to the side, but not on Morgan hasn't seen this month. We're, we're getting into the weirder side of Marvel movies, and it's uh, it's been fun so far, and I'm sure it will continue to be quite yes, fun. Definitely. We talked about Thomas <laughs> Jane's The Punisher this week on this Wednesday. Um, Monday shows will return soon enough. Do not worry about that. We, we're in a little bit of a funny time again, like I said at the beginning with, you know, th things going on, meaning we couldn't do as much stuff as we would have wanted to. And it's a weird time to even talk about new things anyway. I mean, you, you can, you do, but to what extent? It's all very strange at the moment with the strikes and everything like that um but that's beside the point there are other things we can do on mondays mm -hmm. much like we had uh, a couple of videos over on the it's a wonderful podcast youtube channel that you can go and subscribe and ding your notification bells on where we started our spin-off of morgan hasn't seen where we, we're getting into uh, TV shows. We have an episode up there on uh, the beginnings of Dawson's Creek and the yes. uh, beginnings of uh, season one of Peacemaker as well, DC's Peacemaker. So you can go and check them out if you haven't already on the, uh, the It's a Wonderful Podcast YouTube channel as well as all the other stuff we have over there. And subscribe, of course, to this podcast feed. Uh, on all major podcast platforms, the It's a Wonderful podcast feed. We we love doing it, obviously, yeah. and we hope you enjoy what we do. We spoke about the Patreon before. There's also a donation link in the description if you would like to support us in that way uh, and are feeling particularly generous. Uh, you can, of course, also just find us on social media, on Twitter, as it's called Twitter, not any other name, <laughs> at It's a Wonderful One for the show. You can find me on Twitter, at The Purple Dawn, with a three instead of the E in the because, Jenny. Three is the magic number. On Instagram and TikTok, at The Purple Dawn. I was going to say all your miserable stuff is where, but that wouldn't... <laughs> make That's people want to nice. go and uh, yeah. <laughs> wouldn't make people want to go and, and and seek them out would you i'll say all your noir loving stuff is well. <laughs> you can find me at janine debean underscore on twitter janine yes. debean on instagram and tiktok if you want to get any merch for any of our shows just check the link in the description or search it's a wonderful podcast on teespring.com and if you want to purchase any of my art and print form you can find that at my big cartel shop g9design.com 
bigcartel.com. Well, there we go. I do think there is only one thing left to do, apart from saying, again, I'm so glad to be back doing the show. It feels like so long, even though it's actually just been a week without a show. Yeah. <laughs> it feels like it's been so long, and it, it makes me happy to be talking about old movies as horribly miserable as this one was. Perhaps <laughs> for next week we'll have to go a little a bit happy better. movie. <laughs> A happy movie, a positive movie yes. for next week. I think, Janine, just to just to get the balance right. Yes, just yes, I think I think right. we can do that. I think that's necessary. It's a good idea. Detour, nineteen forty-five, directed by Edgar G. Ulmer, starring Tom Neal and Anne Savage. A delightfully dark movie that it is. But there is only one thing left to do, Janine. I don't think there's any particular impression. I mean, you could try and be quite as vicious as Anne Savage was, but I think it would sound horrible into the microphone, yeah, to be maybe. honest. <laughs> you could give it a go. Oh, goodness. Let's see if I remember how mean you sounded. <laughs> Three, two, one. <laughs> oh, I, I, please don't hit me, Anne Savage. <laughs> please. No. I'm scared. I'm very scared. Bye. Bye.